Good morning, everyone. My name is Russell Smith, the pastor here at New Life. Please keep your Bibles open there at uh, Luke 16, which we're going to spend a little bit more time in, uh, in this series on money. John Wesley was a radical minister in the 1700s uh, who knew times of prosperity and times of hardship. When he was a kid, uh, his house burned down. Uh, while he was growing up, he saw his father taken off to prison uh, because he was a preacher of the gospel. John Wesley himself became a minister and he had a, a very disappointing uh, mission trip to America from England. He knew prosperity, he knew hardship, but a slogan that he would say, and that he certainly lived by, was this, he said, in relation to money, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Our current sermon series on money is that we might get God's perspective on money. And as we get God's perspective on money, it will give us freedom. Freedom from stress about money, freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry, freedom from guilt. And with this freedom that comes with God's perspective on money, we will be free to have contentment and joy and generosity. Uh, So far as we have been uh, looking at money, we have acknowledged that it's a good gift. It's not bad but a good gift that we enjoy and give thanks for. But in our lives, as we're immersed in money every day, we can't go by in one day without thinking about money or coming into contact with money. We recognise that money is not safe. Our hearts are in danger of being gripped by greed, of which we need to repent of, that we saw last week. Today we're looking at the third financial strategy that is opposed to God, what I call financial apathy. Money just comes in and out of our lives, perhaps without too much of a thought about it. We don't think much about money. We certainly don't think very strategically about money. We don't plan much with our money. It'll be okay. You ask uh, somebody like this, is money unimportant? And I'd perhaps say, well, kind of, I don't know, I don't really think about it. Why might we be apathetic about money? Why might our financial strategy be one of apathy? Here's four four reasons that I can think of that might be perhaps true for me in little ways. First of all, because it's too hard. Money is too hard. I don't understand money and the economy enough to think much about it. It is too hard. Or perhaps it's that I'm too lazy. I just can't be bothered to think about it very much. Perhaps it's because I'm too comfortable. I have so much money that I don't really need to think about it from day to day. It'll all be okay. Or perhaps I'm too confident with money. I don't need to think about it. Uh, Which comes from, I think, a misapplication of God's providence. I'll be okay. God will look after me. But the more we know of God's providence, that should not move us to inaction, but action when we think about money. 
Now, Jesus says a lot about money. He speaks to our heart and to our hand. He speaks to our wallet, our purse, and our bank account. And, in the, and that, that we might enjoy money with thanks, that we might guard our greedy hearts, and in the face of our financial apathy, Jesus says to be shrewdly generous. That's what we see here in Luke chapter 16. It's a pretty challenging parable. It's a difficult parable to understand. It raises lots of ethical questions for us about what is Jesus saying, but the point is clear. There's a manager, a manager who works for a rich man. That's his boss. The manager has been misusing resources in in some kind of a way. Perhaps he's done it in an unethical uh, kind of way. We don't really know, but he's, he's been misusing the resources. He has not been doing the job that is his responsibility to do. And there's no two ways about it. He has got to go. The rich man, his boss, has got to show him the door. He's got to be sacked. Now, the manager, just before cleaning out his desk, takes one last opportunity to do something. He pulls out the accounts, he calls in all the debtors, everybody who owes money to the boss, and he reduces the accounts in such a way that the books balance and the debtors' debts are cleared. Now, in this parable that Jesus tells, when the boss comes in, when the boss gets wind of what this guy has done, the master, verse 8, commends him for his shrewdness. He says, Ha! You got me on that one. This manager, he grabs the window of opportunity that he has to him. He is, he is strategic, he is entrepreneurial, he sees the future that is coming for him and he acts on it now with what he knows. And so by clearing the debts of these guys, they're going to look after him in his unemployment. They're going to look after him now as he no longer has a job and he's not strong enough to dig and he's too ashamed to beg. His debtors will look out for him. He's seen the future that's coming for him and he's acted now on what he knows of that future. One of the main points that Jesus is making here is this. Money is worth more when you know the future. When you know the future, money is worth more in the present. Have a look with me please at verse 9. Verse 9, Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
You see, you, you can't take money into heaven. It is worthless in heaven. So use it now for kingdom purposes. And when you realize that money can't be taken into heaven, you realize how much more valuable it is now to use it for kingdom purposes. Verse 10, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one, no servant, can serve two masters, either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying money is worth more when you know the future. And Jesus' disciples, who have an eternal perspective of the world and ourselves and money, when we have an eternal perspective, will live in light of this eternity. And so rather than use money uh, and, and use it, for, or, or rather than uh, rely on money and use it for ourselves, we'll use it in a way now that pleases God and serves His kingdom purposes. John Wesley said it like this, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That is shrewd generosity. This guy on the screen is named Samuel. Uh, He's a friend of my younger brother and uh, Samuel is a guy that I've come to know who gets shrewd generosity. He's a part-time school teacher, does a bit of farm maintenance, all kinds of different things. But several years ago, as a young man, he went over to uh, Timor-Leste to help out there in whatever way that he could as a farmer, as a school teacher, uh, in his entrepreneurialism. One of the first projects that he got involved in when he went over there was to build a duplex. He was staying with this guy who had this block of land looking out onto the beach like that and Samuel came up with the idea that he'd help this guy build a duplex, a two-part house, so that this guy lives in his part of the house, which is much better than the house that he had before and if you know micro-financing projects, this is what one of these is, and the other side of the duplex was going to belong to Samuel. This guy is now the manager of Samuel's half and earns a little bit of an income from that. And the rent that's collected from here, largely from um, Westerners who go and have holidays in Timor-Leste or uh, Westerners who are living and working there who go out to places like this for holidays, pay, like an Airbnb, a rent on that. The money that's collected from that pays this guy's income for him to live off and the leftover bits of money goes to Samuel. What has Samuel done with it over several years? Well, he went and found another guy like this who lives on the beach somewhere in a little shack and Samuel built him a duplex. Built him a duplex, he lives in this half with his family and he manages this half. He earns an income from managing that half and the money left over that that goes to Samuel. It it, it finances him to fly in and out of Timor-Leste 
building more duplexes for people. That is shrewd generosity. Now this has exploded for Samuel to the extent now he actually now lives permanently in Timor-Leste with his family and has set up four or five different self-funded charities and aid organisations and schools and all kinds of different things. He's even set up a boarding house where you can come and have a holiday with him just to see what goes on there and you don't have to pay for your accommodation. He is a guy who gets shrewd generosity. Now, not all of us can be like that. We go, I don't have that kind of ingenuity. I I don't have those kind of skills and opportunities. But the starting point for that, the starting point of shrewd living is a heart that is gripped by generosity. Generosity that comes from God and His gospel overflowing in our lives. Two weeks ago, we did a bit of a survey through the Bible and saw God's generosity. I don't think you can read the Bible from page cover to cover and not come away with seeing that God is generous. We see it in an example of Jesus. Can you turn please now in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8? Here we see the example of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I want to let this sit for a moment for us. Jesus' example of generosity. Think about the most generous thing that you've ever done. Your greatest moment of generosity. I'm not going to ask you to tell anyone. Think about your greatest moment of generosity. Perhaps it was something that you did with your time. Now praise God for that generosity that is placed in your heart to willingly, joyfully, sacrificially serve others. Perhaps it was something that you did with your time generously to serve us here at New Life. Thank you for that. We need to get better at thanking one another for being generous with our time in the service of one another and the gospel. But know this, our most generous giving of our time Jesus upped it by 25% and more. Maybe the most generous thing that you can think of that you have ever done is to do with money. I don't know what you do with your money. I don't know anything about who gives what money here at New Life. I praise God for that moment of generosity with your money that you're thinking of at the moment, that God has placed in your heart, enabled you to do that. But know this, Jesus has raised it by 50% and more. What is the most extravagantly generous thing you could possibly think of? 
or imagine. In my family growing up, every single year we would go out and help with the Salvation Army Red Shield Appeal collection. We'd go to a little fishing village on the north coast, went there every year collecting door to door. When I was about 10 or 11, I was old enough to do the door knocking on my own. And I went to one man's house and he came out and he wrote, he handed over a cheque. Uh, For the younger people who don't know what a cheque is, you can write on a piece of paper that says, I will transfer this amount of money from my bank account to this appeal. Now for a 10-year-old, I didn't think that one person in the world could even have as much money as what this guy was giving to me in this cheque for the appeal. With my 10-year-old handwriting, I couldn't fit all the zeros in the space on the receipt book that I was supposed to fill out. Extravagant generosity. But know this, Jesus doubled it and kept giving. Jesus gave extravagantly more. Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, humbled himself, becoming a man and being obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we could be rich. Not financial prosperity, but spiritual prosperity, to go from being out of relationship into relationship with God from being not his people to being his children. Jesus gave extravagantly more so that we might know the riches of God's grace and forgiveness. Now this verse lands in the midst of a section that is a celebration of generosity and sustained instruction uh, to the Christians at Corinth. And what Paul is saying to them is when we know God's generosity, when we have been gripped by Jesus' extravagant generosity to us, here is what will overflow in our lives. Let's have a look at verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial... Their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The Bible doesn't tell us to give money. The Bible tells us to be generous. And what does that look like? Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. You see, generous giving is not a burden, but it's an outpouring of God's grace through our lives. Verse 5, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They were giving of their whole self, uh, first to God and His purposes, not just money, but all of what they are, all of what we have in, in time and talents as well. 
verse 6. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. What Paul says here about generosity is to become an expert at it. Become an expert in imitating Jesus. Practice it over and over. Give it the 10,000 hours that will make us stand out from everybody else. Now he continues on and we're going to pick it up in chapter 9, verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity is to be cheerful and deliberate. Uh, People over the years have used uh, collection envelopes uh, for giving money systematically to church. Uh, I can remember in my growing up, my parents would use that. Uh, They would get their money and they'd put it into the envelope uh, week by week. Uh, When I was first a minister, I was doing lots of home visits to people in our congregation who were shut in and not able to come out. I met one lady in those visits who was very systematic about each month she would get out her money that she was going to give to the gospel and she would put it in one envelope uh, for each week for that month ahead and she would set it on her windowsill and as she would go off to church each Sunday she would take that envelope and she would deliberately and cheerfully be giving that. Uh, when I went to visit her, uh, she'd been sick and shut in home for a while, uh, for about three months. As it came time to leave, she said, just one moment, I've got something that I, I would like you to pass on to church and she went to her windowsill And there were her 12 envelopes uh, lined up uh, to give, cheerfully and deliberately. Some of us use direct debit uh, to set up regular uh, payments of cheerful and deliberate giving uh, to the gospel and God's work. But how do we be deliberate um, if we perhaps don't have a regular income? Uh, Younger people here, perhaps you don't have a regular income. Uh, Some of us who have itinerant work situations. Uh, One of the practical things that I've heard I've done over the years is to match your giving to gospel work with a regular bill that comes into your life, whether it's an annual car insurance to spread that regularly out over the year and match that, or a monthly phone bill. Match that bill with regular giving. If we can meet those uh, regular things in our life there, set it up in that kind of a way. Verse 7, generosity is cheerful and deliberate. Verse 8, it's a grace of God. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's saying here the generosity is a grace where God will provide. And so we 
can and should and will be praying for God's grace in our life to grow our generosity. And you see, if God is growing us to be more and more like Jesus, the one who is the most extravagant in generosity, God will surely give us the means by which we can fulfill that generosity in our lives, even if it doesn't mean that we have more money. Verse 9. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Uh, Generosity brings praise to God. And verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Now, as we see Jesus' extravagant generosity to us, as we see Paul's celebration and encouragement of generosity, as we hear of inspiring stories like Samuel, doesn't this just make us want to explode with more generosity? Aristides was a Greek philosopher in the second century who was converted to Christianity and he said of Christians that they stood out as generous pure and extravagant. Those who follow Jesus are marked by extravagant purity and are marked by extravagant generosity. Now what will it look like for us to stand out in in generosity? We titled the series of these Bible talks Generation Generous. Every generation is known by something the lucky generation, the baby boomers, the Gen Xs, Gen Ys, the millennials. Every generation is known uh, by a particular characteristic or time in history but why, which they were marked out by. But the thing, perhaps that we should and want to be remembered for, the thing that marks us out, the distinctive characteristic of new life people in this generation is generation generous. The the historical records of new life, you look back and go, something happened in 2018. The story of new life A church that's been going about 25 years. Every time I hear the story, every time I think about the story, every time I uh, remember and retell the story, it's a story of celebrating and thanking God for people who have gone before us, who were visionary in generous in moving to this part of Canberra, in this part of the world, to see a church plant and established. Just like we prayed for New Life Presbyterian Church in the northeastern parts of Melbourne, uh, kicking off this morning with their first church service. 25 years ago, that was a group of people who were here. And one of the things that's retold over the years was their faithfulness 
their commitment, their generosity to one another and to God. Now in 25 years' time from now, in 125 years from now, no one will remember any one of us. Nobody will remember who the minister was in 2018. But my hope and prayer is that people in the future who look back on the history of new life might say that something was happening around 2018. They were a generous generation. God was doing something in the hearts of those people. That is my hope and prayer for me and for us, that we might be known as generous generation in the history of this church, but also in the community and the world round about us. Now I want to give you some quick thoughts on what it looks like for us to be generous. These These are my personal thoughts for us. You won't necessarily find these things written down in the Bible. But as I think about being generous generation today, here's what I'm thinking about. Number one, generosity is a whole of life thing. All we are and all that we have. With our time, with our talents, with our gifts, with our passions, with our money. Generosity is a whole of life thing. Secondly, being an entrepreneur with gospel generosity. Some of you have amazing skills to do things with money for the sake of the gospel that the rest of us don't. Some of us are really entrepreneurial and have skills and gifts to do things that the rest of us can't channel those skills and gifts and entrepreneurialism into gospel generosity. Third, something for all of us. When it comes to generosity, when it comes to handling money, get advice. You need not pay for a financial planner. Ask friends and family members for help in handling money. Ask anyone of our church elders here One of the qualifications of an elder is that they can manage their household. They'll be able to give you advice. And the most basic financial advice is this. Get a budget, get out of debt and save something. Get advice. Next one. Start now with being generous. I particularly talk to the young people here amongst us, start now with being generous. Don't wait for when you have a full-time job. Don't wait for when you've got a steady income. Don't wait for some time when you will start adulting. Generosity is so much more than giving money. And start now with being generous, growing generosity as a habit in your life. Now, parents... You will need to help our young people with this. Uh, Teach them the mindset and the habits of finances and generosity. Talk about what you do with your finances. Talk about what your family does to be generous. 
perhaps a lunchtime conversation today, will your children be surprised by how generous your family is with your finances? Young people start now, parents help them. If we're going to be shrewd, do not gamble. Give it up. If it's the pokies, if it's sports betting, hanging out in casinos and some investment strategies, whether you're doing it for entertainment or chasing the win or it's some kind of game, you can do something far more strategic with your money. Do not gamble. If you're here this morning and gambling is an addiction for you, uh, I'm sorry for the trap that our community has created for you. And we need to help you get out of that trap. If you're going to be convicted by Jesus' extravagant generosity, if we're going to be shrewd in generosity, we have got to get out of gambling. Next point, prioritise our generous giving to our local church. For most of us here in this room, our first responsibility in giving to God's gospel work is giving to the church that we are a part of. Uh, I'm really thankful to God uh, for you that together we meet the financial commitments uh, of our church here, that we don't talk about money uh, very much. The details are on the back of vital info there. I am thankful that across this year so far we've seen a steady increase in our giving to meet the budget that we have uh, projected for ourselves uh, this year. Let's continue to do that. My last point, now is the time for new life to be shrewd. As we see the future, as we act now, we're going to hear more in the coming weeks about uh, purchasing property and expanding our property and I think that is shrewd generosity. There's some personal points. I'm aware of the time and uh, sorry I was up much later today than usual. Uh, I'm going to have to save some for next week. Let me finish with something that's memorable. How much should I give? Not yet said that in this series. Is it 10% like the Old Testament tithe? Is that before or after tax? I should 10% include my giving to help the poor? Do I deduct my time cost from my 10%? Now, I've never told anyone how much to give before. So here it comes. You got your pen ready? Brock's going to be ready to tweet this. How much should I give? Give like Jesus. Now I find that quite hard to say because I know it is so hard to do. The rich ruler who came to Jesus, Jesus told him to sell everything and give it away and come and follow him. Zacchaeus gave away half of everything. 
The poor widow that Jesus commended gave two small coins, but they were everything that she had to live off. This is shrewd generosity that God loves. And so with Paul, I say to you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich.